All right, the scripture reading today comes to us from the book of Acts. As we continue through the sermon series, starting at verse 3 of chapter 9 to verse 19. Okay, I'll read it for us, starting at verse 3. Now as he, Saul, went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, but rise and enter the city, and you'll be told what you are to do. The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were open, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Verse 10. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a, in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight. And at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized, and taking food, he was strengthened. This is God's word so far. Thanks be to God. As much as Saul once believed, uh, he was do doing nothing but good in the name of God and living all out for God. When God himself, however, appeared on the road to Damascus, Saul could not recognize him. Saul thought he was living for God, but he could not recognize the revelation of God. And so when God appeared and spoke, Saul was convicted for the first time in his life of his own sin. Saul, a respectable, religious, fervent, devout, professional, convicted of his own sin. What was his sin? Well, his sin was he had lived his entire life to be good enough for God. His entire life was built around earning righteousness, a record, a reputation, a resume. So that thereby God would have to accept and bless him and reward him. Saul was a man of wages and rewards. Saul never wanted forgiveness from God. Saul never needed grace from God. 
Saul never thought he needed saving. He needed to be saved by God. This was his sin. And there are a lot of people today, even who go to church and have been around Christian churches, who think to themselves, well, I just want to be good enough so that I don't really need a savior. Well, when God revealed to him who he is and his own sin, God also convicted Saul of the love of a savior. This is how conversion happens. When a convicted sinner is loved by the Savior in Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 5 verse 8. Penned by Apostle Paul or Saul. But God demonstrates his own love toward us. How do you know God's love? How do you know he's so loving? What is love? What is the love of God? Here's how you know it. In that while we were still sinners... And that while all of us still thought, I'm really okay on my own. And headlong and fervent and furious and determined as we all once were. While we were still sinners. While we did really nothing good in the eyes of God. Christ Jesus died for us. When a conviction of your own independence, your sin before God, converges with the conviction of the love of a Savior who would come and live and die and resurrect for you, or for you of all people, when those two come together, conversion happens. That's real conversion. If you haven't had real conversion, it's never electrifying. It won't change your life. It'll never be a thrill. Hmm? It'll never bleed over into all the areas of your life. But when conversion happens, a sinner loved by a savior, oh, how lives change. Now I suggested to you all conversions are not like Saul's. They don't have to be loud. They don't have to be dramatic. You don't have to hear a voice from heaven. Saul was apparently so wicked and wretched God gave him extra revelation, I might say. That's my theory. But even if your conviction is gradual, quiet, almost unnoticeable at first, they are no less miraculous and life-changing. They are life-changing. Every conversion done by Jesus is life-changing. I've got four today real quick. Four life changes. Four ways your life has changed. Number one, you come under orders. You come under orders. Verse 6 Immediately upon being struck blind, God tells him what to do. Verse 6, rise, go to this city. From the moment of conversion, the roles of who is Lord and who is the servant are made unmistakably clear. When you hear the voice of Jesus, the risen Savior and Lord, I don't know how many of you have really heard from him direct through his word, by his spirit. But when you really hear from Jesus, call your name. It has such majesty and compelling power, like irresistible grace, some might say. It has such authority. It's almost like as if you cannot not obey. You come under orders. That's what happened to Saul. I, 
There's some who just really assume and you just believe you're a Christian because you grew up at the church. I mean, you just, yeah, you're the, you know, grow around Christian things. You, you know, Christian stuff to say and you go to Christian gatherings and you know how Christians behave in certain situations. So, all right. But if your life isn't under new orders, if you're not an obedient person, please, please, may the word of God distinguish something today. You may not be converted. Being comfortable, compromising, catering stuff to fit you, coming up with your own way to follow Jesus, none of that is conversion. When you are converted, you come under orders of the Lord, and we are merely his servants. Rebellious people by nature reject and hate being told what to do. Because rebellious people, the mantra is, you do you. You do you. You be you. Oh, be free and happily you. I mean, how much is that in all of our culture today? You do you. Just be you. Find yourself and just live it out. Religious people resent being told what to do. Now pay attention. How can you be religious and grow up at a church, but actually deep inside, not like being told what to do? You know why? Because it's filled with Fear, duty, and misery. Some of you in this room have lived all your life not really liking what God tells you to do because you think it's heaven or hell if you obey or disobey. It's duty, and you're actually not happy about doing it at all. Ah, but what happens when someone's converted? What about a converted child of God? What about your own child? Do you want your child to obey you just because it's dutiful and forced? Do you want your child to reject and hate being told what to do? No. A converted child of God, according to Psalm 1, is blessed. They like being told what to do because they've been so beloved. Conversion. Conversion, has this ever occurred for you? Where the commands of God are not burdensome, they're not ball and chain, they're not ominous, they're not dreadful, they're not a restraint, they're not keeping you from living your fullest life. For a converted child of God, the commands of God and the orders of God are a pure delight, a blessing, a joy. Look at Saul's entire life, how he came under the sovereign orders of God. He realized this later, but yes, if you think about his past, again, another letter written by the apostle Paul or Saul, Galatians chapter 1, verse 15 and 16 reads this, Galatians 1, 15 and 16. Notice what Paul realizes later. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son in me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone. Saul or Paul confesses, before I was born, God outmoved, maneuvered me. Look at these verses. Before I was born, before I did anything good or bad, God um, outchose me. He mastered me. He outordered me. I was set apart. 
Look at his present, present time in this passage. You look at verses 10 and 11. Now, there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, rise and go. Rise and go. Everyone's under orders. Saul is told in verse 6, rise and go to the city. Then another disciple in Damascus the place to which Saul was seeking to persecute and imprison Christians. There's a disciple there, follower of the way. Ananias, now you rise and go. Everyone who is a child of God falls under his orders. And the preconceptions or the biases of Ananias are completely undone by God. Lord, Lord, I, I've heard so much about this man. How much evil he has done. How much wicked evil he has done in Jerusalem. You really want me to go to him? Yes, I want you to go to him. And God prepares and instructs and sends Ananias to heal the blindness of Saul by laying on of his hands in prayer. And then the Holy Spirit comes and fills Saul. And then Saul is baptized. And then he's given physical food for recovery. Saul fell under orders of God before he was born in the past. Saul fell under the orders of God in the present along with Ananias. Well, let's think about his future. Look at verses 15 and 16 once again. But the Lord said to him, to Ananias, speaking of Saul, but he, go for he, Saul is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. The future, prophetic. No question it's going to be fulfilled. And history shows it came to pass. Paul, one of the most prolific, suffering, traveling missionaries who finally makes it to Rome and under house arrest continues to proclaim the kingdom of God and advance the word of God without hindrance. Thus is the conclusion to the book of Acts. Conversion. What does that mean? What changes does it make? First, you come under orders. Are you? Are you really under the orders of God? Or does every year come and go because you make your own strategic plans for you yourself and your family with no regard to the orders and the directions of God? Here's a second change, a lifelong love a lifelong love. My friends, Saul never, ever, ever got over his conversion. He never got past it. You might say he never walked off the road to Damascus. It was so alive and fresh to him he could not contain it. It formed and fueled a lifetime of theology, theology, speaking, writing, singing, sacrificing, suffering. This one singular conversion moment where a sinner is loved, loved by God himself in Jesus, he never outgrew it. He never outgrew it. You know, ground zero for all spiritual renewal 
synonym of that is revival is for somewhat older Christian believers to recover the day you came to Jesus. Renewal comes rushing in when the Holy Spirit of God refreshes and emblazons your hearts again with your road to Damascus where you might relive it, where you might actually grow in it, and churches unleash new stories of grace, new friends and family coming to their road to Damascus of meeting Jesus who can love us while we were still sinning. You know, your pastor uh, was so poor and undisciplined and distracted in his prayer life that about two, three years ago, I realized walking, literally just physically walking, would help me to pray. And just by the leading of God, I don't think a day has gone by in the last two or three, three years. I, I've missed a day. It was really tough at first. But I need to walk to actually to pray. And, and would you believe that in one of my little goals of walking every day would be just so that my mind and heart could be concentrated and focused apart from media or books or busyness or phone or anything like that, that out in nature, hopefully my soul would be directed and drawn to God. And then God would do something in the last two or three years that is quite remarkable. Like how frequent, how much sweeter, how much more regular is the sense of God's presence and love for me while I pray and seek a renewal of my body and soul? My friends, renewal comes not by tricky methods, not by cheap tricks. Ananias was praying. Saul was praying. People just earnestly desired, I need a taste of God. And if God gives you a desire to even want God, assuredly, I tell you, that's from God. And while these two people were praying and they both fell under the orders of God by his word, notice how the spirit of God filled and gave them new life. You know, the rest of the book of Acts, starting from chapter 20 to 28, Saul is held through multiple trials. None of the charges will stick. He is targeted public enemy number one to the Jewish religious community. I mean, if you watch these movies with John Wick and assets and, you know, Jason Bourne, you know, talk about, oh, I want all the assets, all the assassins sent down to kill that one guy. That, that was Paul. Did you know there were times at night he had to escape down through a basket to flee the city? He was sometimes almost mobbed to death. I mean, people had a strangle or chokehold around him. But this man had a lifelong love. And in one of these trials, before King Agrippa, in Acts chapter 26, verse 13, he adds this little detail. In defense of his own faith, trying to answer, Paul, why are you doing what you're doing? Why are you causing so much drama and commotion in your life? Just stay home, stay quiet. 26 verse 13, at midday, O king, 
I saw on the way a light from heaven, brighter than the sun that shone around me and those who journeyed with me. He never got over it. He never got over it. Are you over it? Here's what Saul said. On the road to Damascus, a light shone down that was brighter than any brightness or beauty or brilliance I have ever seen. Saul had seen and experienced a brightness more brilliant and more beautiful than any other light. Have you? Under orders, lifelong love. Lifelong. That's what conversion produce, produces. Here's three. Passions redirected. Passions redirected. There's a notion, false one, that if you become a Christian person, somehow you lose um, your creativity, your natural brilliance, hmm? some of the ferocity you used to have to win or succeed at something. Uh, it's a false notion. Like when you become a Christian, you become bland, boring, out with all the colors. Cannot be further from the truth. Again, Saul or Paul later writes from a jail cell in Philippians chapter 3, verse 12. Here's what he wrote. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on. I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Press on in English to translate from the Greek word dioko. Dioko. As we pray for and celebrate and are so, so thrilled and excited for the gospel's advance in the commissioning of kindred Presbyterian church from here on, when I think about Dioko pursuing or pressing on toward Christ, I'm going to think of Dinko. Dinko or Dioko pressing on toward Jesus. Now, that same Greek word Paul used or Luke used for when Paul was persecuting Jesus and his church. Philippians chapter 3, Saul now becomes a pursuer or persecutor toward Jesus. But in Acts chapter 9 and previous, clearly he was a dioko, a pursuer, persecutor against Jesus and all of his people. But conversion changed him. Conversion changed him. You see, by the very next passage, starting at verse 20, Saul is preaching Jesus is the Son of God. He's risen from the dead so boldly and effectively that, again, there is a conspiracy to kill him. And he's lowered at night by his disciples. Saul transitions from being a persecutor with so much passion, so much ferocity, so much tenacity, so much planning, so much ingenuity, so much natural wiring and skill and determination. Think about that man previous to Christ, what he must have been like. He was very good at his job. He wanted to imprison and throw away and hunt down Christians for a living. But now, upon conversion, the persecutor becomes persecuted. 
The one who is doing all the pursuing and terrorizing is pursued and terrorized. But mark my words, not an ounce of his passions abated. All that God had made Saul to be naturally. All the creative juices and passions and imaginations. All of your talents, energies, time. God has given to you naturally just because he's a gracious, kind God. But when you are converted... All of that is redirected. It's just redirected. It's redeemed. I might even say heightened and purified and intensified for the glory of God, for the gospel's advance, and your maximum joy. Three changes so far if you are a converted child of God. You come under orders. Second, your heart gets stolen. Your heart never gets over it. I don't know how you get over it. I'm not talking about you have to feel it all the time. But how does a converted person of God know your sin, but know a Savior could still love you? Lifelong love. Third, passions redirected. Last, last one. Fourth. Fourth change. I didn't know how to describe it. This is my best attempt. Re-image. Re-image. Pay attention to how Dr. Luke describes the conversion and the immediately changed life of one Saul. First, for three days, Saul suffered a Deuteronomic curse. In Deuteronomy, there's a sign of a spiritual curse. If you're blind. Three days, Saul had his eyes opened, but he could see nothing. Utter darkness for three days. Number two, Luke describes how the Lord speaks of Saul to Ananias. Saul's going to be my chosen instrument. And that same word for chosen instrument is used in Luke 23, verse 35. For none other than Jesus when he hung upon the cross. Third description, God tells Ananias how Saul will have to suffer, suffer greatly for my name. The Greek there is pathane, pathane. Same word applied for Jesus in Luke 24, 46, that the Christ should pathane. Fourth description, Saul is commanded at the feet of Jesus to rise, rise. Remember, he was thrown and fell to the ground. But now he's told to rise. Jesus arose. Same word, Jesus arose from the dead. Jesus was resurrected. So evidently, the author describes purposefully, intentionally, down to the details the conversion in the life of Saul as one who relives the sufferings, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Luke is not manufacturing or stretching 
any events here. However, the way he describes the conversion and the changed life of Saul is one that is a pattern after Jesus. And why would that be? Because Luke wants us to see and he wants the world to see that Saul is the mirror image of Jesus. Luke wants you to see. He wants the world to see. And the world did see it. That's why it made a dent. That this Saul or Paul looks awfully like someone else who suffered and died and rose again. Oh, my dear friends. If you are a child of God, if you know God and God knows you because he has converted you and the Holy Spirit lives in you, did you know this is your pattern too? Did you know this is your storyline? Did you know Jesus is who God saves you and shapes you and re-images you to look like? Did you know that? Did you know that if you're a Christian person that God insists, actually he insists, he doesn't want you to settle for less. I don't know what your greatest ambition or goal or joy in life is. I don't know what your definition of success is. I'll tell you God's. I'll tell you God's. Do you know what God's goal or definition of success in your life is? It's for you and I to become mirror images. It's to re-image Jesus. That will be your deepest and greatest fullness of life. That is what you were born and born again to be. That is what God wants you and this church to become. Change lives. Change how? In the very image of Jesus Christ. Now, we heard from Pastor D. Penn insightfully preach on parenting. Another proof that you don't have to be married or parenting to teach and preach the word of God well, just like Apostle Paul. But I know, fellow parents, who can get so awfully discouraged because when your children reach a certain age, you start noticing, you start noticing certain things like, oh, God, that's me. That's actually one of my worst traits. And I know how stubborn and prideful and potentially consequential that trait in me or my wife is, and it's showing up right here in my teenage child. And you get all fearful, and you lament, and you get all worried. Can I ask you to take some heart parents, fellow parents, and spiritual parents? Believe in God more than yourself. Believe in the God who reformed and re-imaged himself in the worst character in history, which was Paul. Do you believe in God could actually map out the pattern of his own son, Jesus Christ, not only in Paul, but hey, how about you? Hey, how about you, O parent? How about me, this parent, this pastor right up here? 
And if God can reform, reshape, and reimage a redemptive, much more beautiful pattern, a holy pattern, a life story of Jesus somehow being reflected in a person like me and you, how could you not take heart? Reimage, reimage is what God insists on doing upon conversion. So how did the early church fulfill their vision, their mission, change the world upside down? Oh, I pray for that renewal so that we would realize our vision and mission. How did they do it? How did Paul do it? Maybe more personal. How does Jesus do it in you or through you? In other words, how does Jesus win you and change you? What does the world need most from the church? Well, they do not need, they certainly do not need a bigger, better, more beautiful, smarter, successful, popular version of you. The world is not won over because Christians are so bigger, better, beautiful, popular, and successful. Do you know how the world has changed? When there's less of you and less of me. Less strength. So you will need and grow in his strength. Less smart, less savvy, less sophisticated. So you could be wiser in him. Less safe, less self-centered, less self-protecting, self-promoting, self-fulfilling. More vulnerable and sacrificial like him. How does the world most transparently see, worship, get attracted to, believe in, and follow Jesus? Jesus told us how. John chapter 12, verses 24 to 26. John chapter 12, verses 24 to 26. Here's what he calls us all to do. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. If you don't die to your pride, if you don't die to your temper, if you don't die to your absolute complacency in life, if you don't die to your comfort, you don't die to your self-will and agenda and timing. If you don't die to you, you, you will die alone. If it dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Verse 25, whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. 
If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Oh, may conversion come. May renewal come. May the Holy Spirit use his word and penetrate all hearts. Bring people under his orders. Light a flame of love that will never die out. Redirect all your passions and make you a mirror image of Jesus. My friends, I want to see more of Jesus, less of you. Wouldn't you want that of me and your pastor and all the world? The world is dying to see. Give me Jesus. Show me Jesus. And you show Jesus best in the times and places you least expected. Shall we come together and pray? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we come to you, O Lord. Thank you. Thank you. That your love showers down in and in spite of and during our sinning. Jesus, I pray, O oh Lord, would you stir a movement of repentance, of prayers, of a life of walking with you. I can't do it. We can't manufacture it. But would you come down and do it? For our greatest, greatest joy and pleasure. And for a greater witness to a world dying for Jesus. Let me just give you a couple of moments. Would you pray with me? Pray with me. Whatever response you may pray. Let's pray. And then we'll sing this song of response.